Well, after several conversations and these people seeing what Jen and I were actually working and accomplishing, they would come back to us and say, oh my goodness, Utah just might be the most corrupt state as far as elections. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here. Welcome back to The Vibe Show and also the Utah Patriot Update. I haven't been doing shows on Utah lately, but this is some stuff you guys have to hear about, especially if you're from Utah or you love somebody in Utah. And I feel like I didn't get the memo about how to dress. So I got home from church and I almost was dressed like these ladies. So I'm introducing you to to Sophie, Richard and Sophie who's wearing Make America Great Again sweatshirt that she likes to wear in super hardcore liberal Salt Lake City where she lives. And we got Jen, who has a sweatshirt that says Jesus is King. And I literally just on the way home from church stopped and placed a screen printing order for my sweatshirt that says Fringe Minority. Like the three of us would have been like the perfect power team had I gotten my my act together today, right? (laughs) Welcome. Next time, next time. <laughs> yes, next time. Well, I hope I, I hope we don't have a part two of this. I hope we put it to rest <laughs> and the shenanigans of Utah's uh, worst governor in history uh, are exposed mm-hmm. and we get out a big old flashlight beam and shine it on the reason I left Utah and took my multi-million dollar business with me to a safer zone for small business, a safer zone for a political conservative. Um, a less corrupt place. And that's really amazing because Florida is kind of known for corruption. But anyways, I still have a home in Utah. My heart's still in Utah. My children are still in Utah. But um, let's talk about Spencer Cox, who um, I, if it's the last thing I do on this earth, want to make sure that the last thing I say before I die is that Spencer Cox is the author of Socialism in Utah. I've said it before. I'll say it again. While you guys thought Gary Herbert was leading the state, he was the face. He was doing Facebook Lives while behind the scenes, Spencer Cox was the author of the, and if this isn't a euphemism, I don't know what is, Utah Leads Together, 26 Mm -hmm. pages of hundreds of new rules, restrictions, basically choking to death all of Utah's small businesses while, of course, leaving the uh, multi-billion dollar public companies totally alone through, through the the pandemic. So what do you guys, what do you guys have to say about that? We're here to talk about Spencer Cox, anything? Uh, there is so much to say about Spencer Cox. Where do we start, Jen? Oh my gosh. Well, let's just, maybe let's just start with the most easy thing, which is recently in the last week or two, he made the taxpayers pay a quarter million dollars to put a security home and a security fence around his private property and his home. Like, doesn't that just say it all? Like, I, I'm just thinking, why do you need a security fence? Why don't you just do your job? You know, but that's the easiest thing. Well, they already they already made it illegal to go uh, stand in front of his house with with signs. Um, so putting putting handcuffs on our First Amendment rights. But so the Utah taxpayer just paid a quarter of a million dollars for security at Spencer Cox's house. How much is an average house worth in San Pete County? Not that much. I mean, yeah. And, and and here's the thing. It's his private residence. I'm kind of wondering, like, so when he's not governor, do the taxpayers get that money back? Like, how does that even work? Well, and, well, and I, my the question I'm asking is, 
honestly, who is the threat that he's pretending is going to go to his home and threaten him? It feels very much like creating this like false flag narrative. Like the Jen and Sophies of the world that are looking into election integrity are going to come to Spencer Cox's house and threaten him. Like it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Well, the irony is he's the one that's making the threats. We've been told by several legislators that behind closed doors, uh, Governor Cox, not too soon after he got in, I mean, the first, one of the first things he did was get rid of some of the machines. I find it very interesting that in approximately January, right after the election, we have a statewide uh, server go down including election data that was claimed to be lost. Um, and, and we know this because one of the counties was able to retrieve it. Thank goodness, thanks to some heroic uh, heroic um, employee in one of the counties. So we have you know, machines getting you know, refreshed. We have da- statewide data going down on servers. And then we have Cox in a closed door meeting saying to, to some legislators that if any of you even bring up the word audit, or election integrity or anything like that, that they, he will destroy them and their careers. So we've got a big hurdle to face with the guy who ran his own election here. He's set everything up for at least eight years, if not more behind the scenes to make this pretty hard for us to, to win this battle, but we're, we're not going to give it up for sure. Hey, you said a lot and we're going to go to the eight, what happened eight years ago. That's something that I really want to explore with you both. But first of all, he made a threat to those who investigate election integrity or even say the word audit. Where is this that was said and who heard it that he said he would destroy their careers? Members of the legislators that we've had several confirm this meeting that occurred. It was a closed meeting, not to the public, not recorded, but we do have several firsthand witnesses right off the bat, right off the bat, right after the election, they were all threatened. So if, you know, people are asking, why aren't people stepping forward? That's one of the great big reasons. I mean, Steve Christiansen, one of our representatives, um, he resigned due to all the threats that he was facing. But thank goodness we have Phil Lyman, who is not afraid, not one bit. He's like, yeah. I've heard of those threats. Absolutely. I don't care. I'm going to do the right thing. So Utah has one solid hero, at least in the legislator that is willing to just take the bull by the horns. And he's got an election integrity bill that's just, it's gorgeous. Um, it's going to be an uphill battle, but he's willing to, to face it and to fight it. And to, I'm telling you, if I had my pick for governor right now, it's Phil Lyman. Yeah, he's uh, he tends to be the guy who falls on the sword for all these freedom things and all the other legislators back away from him because they want to be in the cool kids club and they want to be invited to the cocktail party. So yay for them. They get their reward here on earth instead of in heaven. You get yours in in heaven, Phil Lyman, should you be be listening to this? So there's a lot to talk about here. Um, We could go to the fact that I... It's a hobby of mine now to see if I can find a real life person who voted for Spencer Cox. Haven't found one yet. And we haven't either. We have not yeah. either. So I, I not only was I like a Republican state and county delegate in my twenties and am really well connected in Utah and grew a business there from zero in the garage to $10 million and raised four children there and still can't find someone who voted for Spencer Cox. But also, like right before 
the election, he was out hanging the drapes. Rather than doing the job he was being paid to do, he was spending taxpayer dollars. I don't know if you guys have done any investigation of that. Spending, I believe, about $300,000 of our money to get himself elected as governor. Does that all tie in with this story that you guys have been talking about? Oh, 100%. And Robin, to your point, because he was lieutenant governor and he had um, access to the lieutenant governor's website to run elections, he was able to... Um, use his, the lieutenant governor's website to advertise for his um for his uh, election to become governor so that's interesting using a taxpayer um funded website to to publicize his uh his what he wanted candidacy, I, candidacy. yeah yeah sorry can't even think this of the word. This is really interesting. Also, um, in 2013, Sophie and I have talked about this often. Um, the bill was that was the year that Spencer was appointed. Again, it's so important to remember this man was never elected initially, and thereafter is still questionable. But he was put in 2013. That's the same year the bill was written that said that if there is a state of emergency, the lieutenant governor had the power to run the entire election, which gave them really, I mean, I would say tyrannical power to whatever it took. If there's an emergency, they could do it, which I believe is how they justify the statewide forcing of mail-in ballots. Um, but in that year, um, he has this power to run his own election. And it's, I don't even know. It's, it's just crazy that he's able to do these things. So we fast forward the eight years. We're in the state of emergency. And right before everything shuts down for COVID, I'm talking a few months before, Cox is out campaigning everywhere, everywhere. Long before the other candidates have, he is showing his face everywhere. And then suddenly, right when it comes time for the rest of the candidates to kind of do their typical campaigning, everything shuts down. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that's coincidental, but I really don't think so at this point. There's too many coincidences with Cox. And, and Jen, there was that SB0025 that you just mentioned in the state of emergency, the lieutenant governor gets to run the elections. Um, what's funny about that is Jen and I found another bill that's like exactly the same as 0025. It was um, 0082. And it's just, it was their backup plan. Like if 0025 doesn't pass, um, we've got these other bills down the pipeline to make sure that eventually whoever's lieutenant governor can run their own elections. Well, that's a so, so go back to those and give me the one sentence version of what those two bills were. What were they trying to accomplish? And this is like eight years ago. This is in what, 2013? So in a state of emergency, whether it be over weather or a health crisis or whatever, any kind of state of emergency that the state is put in, the the certifications, the um, the whole running of the elections are turned over to the current lieutenant governor. So, um, and why it's so interesting is because during that time, 2020, I don't know if you remember this, but there, it seemed like Herbert was adamant to find any excuse to keep Utah in a state of emergency. Well, they all were. All the governors were, every single governor was because they could be on the take for literally half a billion dollars. 
So it was uh, to to not have the state of emergency, then you, you know, don't get a half a billion dollars from the federal government, but then they get the money. And then what do they do with it? Like, I have to wonder how much of it is somewhere in an offshore account. Not that I'm accusing him, I'm just saying, why was he so gung ho to take a half a billion dollars from the federal government, which is basically just stealing the money out of one of our pockets and putting it in our other uh, other pocket and then stealing it out of that pocket. I mean, at the end of the day, all these people take our money. Those of us who are out there working hard, I'm not talking about punching a clock for the government. I'm talking about actually creating value in the economy. I mean, it's basically our government has become a bunch of grifters. Exactly. Well, I mean, like, like why are three moms who have to help support our families. Why are we having to talk about the deep state corruption of Utah's governor? Like, I'm sorry, everyone, just take a look at who you're talking to here. And then I ask ourselves that every single day, if not hour, like, wait, what? I thought we We actually work more than the governor does. (laughs) Like how many hours we have to put into getting him and all of his people underneath them to do their jobs. And I'm, I'm talking hundreds of hours just on appeals for these state records committees and chief officers just to get the data that legally and lawfully is, is due the public. You wouldn't believe what, you know, the Lieutenant governor is pulling and it's just bad. It is. I, I hope, I hope Spencer Cox hears this and people who work for him, hear this and hear what we three moms have to say, but Spencer Cox, uh, you bring shame on the state of Utah and you make it a slog to run a small business and you make it a slog to raise children in this climate. And I don't know what you were offered or uh, threatened with or bribed with to maybe be part of the elite after this whole rug pull on democracy and the free market system goes down. But just as I'm going to speak for them and they can correct me if they don't agree with this, just as a mom and a business owner, um, I'm ashamed of the way you run Utah. And I am in absolute despair over what you've done to my children's future and the, the futures of the, these ladies' children and our grandchildren, and you were literally, while Herbert was the face of Utah behind the scenes, taking down, completely dismantling small businesses in Utah. And they're starting to fall now. They all went deep into debt. They were on the government dole in 2020 while you shot your mouth off about how how great Utah's economy was doing while the hardworking taxpayers are on their knees and people are now losing their jobs while you quietly deep six any chance of being able to continue to make our own decisions about our own bodies in 2021 and beyond into 2022. You ladies agree with that or you want to make Uh-oh. any? Oh, Robin, if I can just spout out two examples of, um, to prove your point, um, through grandma requests, Jen and I have been privy to um, a contract that was signed really, really by... Quick. So be explain, explain what a grandma request is for people. Oh, thank you. Okay. So grandma request is the equivalent of a FOIA in other states. And grandma stands for um, Government Records Access Management Act. And so um, the public, we have the right to um, 
people's text messages, emails, contracts, um, purchasing agreements. Uh, you think of it, if they're an elected official, we have access to it. We have the right to those records. Technically, technically we have a right to it. Robin, you, you, that is the, the word that we need in this sentence. So, um, Jen and I have been able to, um, have privy to a certain contract that was signed by our Utah State School Board of Education superintendent, Sydney Dixon. Um, and in this contract, um, it is, uh, the first contractual agreement, um, and this is for $6.15 million, um, of ESSER funds, which are basically COVID recovery funds for public education. Um, the first contractual agreement in this um, contract is universally mask students. So that's, you know, of course, as mothers, that's, it makes us irate, but even funner than that is guess who's going to decide who gets these $6.15 million? Robin, do you have a guess? Is it the governor? No, actually the equity, the state's equity committee is going to decide which students were affected by COVID because, you know, white students would never be affected because they have privilege. So for some reason, COVID doesn't affect them. Just by being on that committee, the white people are not even represented. It's not even, it's not even a, uh, a a race that you can apply. If you have it, you can't even apply to be on the committee. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's not that's not different than what Spencer Cox was doing with that jazz camp where he publicly yeah. got behind what the jazz were doing, which is you're automatically disqualified for the jazz uh, summer camps if you're white, which seems yeah. strange if you actually are representing San Pete County, since San Pete County is one of the whitest counties in America. And so it seems kind of strange that this white man representing a white county would want to uh harm white people like that. And I don't think that, tell me if I'm wrong, if any of the three of us don't want equity for all people. And we all, three of us were raised in desegregated schools and we probably all had friends of all colors and and skin colors and religions and races. And we're, I mean, like, is there anybody left in educated upper middle class who is racist? Like, is he even okay on any level to be racist anymore? But, 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 but now we're in the opposite situation where we all embrace diversity and now we find ourselves being told that we are somehow sick and accountable for all the sins of the past just by virtue of having white skin. Yes. Yes. And Robin, what always makes me laugh is my mother's a Cuban refugee. And so this, um, you know, that I'm a white supremacist is, is always hilarious to me. Um, but, um, just really quickly continuing on with that, that, um, uh, USBE contract that, um, you know, was if you get, if you take the money, you'll mask every Utah child was basically what this thing was saying. Um, and what Jen and I found fascinating is that that contract was signed. And then a couple of days later, the Utah legislature saw, uh, voted to take the power away from schools to be able to force masking. And so then we have Spencer Cox panicking because he had purchased millions of China-made masks 
that we're now sitting in stock rooms, right? And he's like, how am I going to get rid of these now? And we took this, the Fed's money in, in, um, you know, uh, we took the money and we said we'd mask all these kids and now we don't have the power to. Well, a couple of days and later. And people recall, Sophie, Sophie, yeah. really quick, remember, um, it became a national story that the federal government was going after Spencer, Spencer Cox. For, yes. for not masking the kids. And what people don't realize is just what Sophie said, that there was a contract through 2023 that he had pre-planned, pre-signed, saying our kids will mask until that year. So this, when we got the Salt Lake County mask mandate overturned, it disrupted everything. Okay. And that's why the feds went after him. That's why he bought the masks. And that's, in my opinion, why recently we've had to resurrect the mandate for the masks in Salt Lake County, which thank goodness did get overturned again, but he's got to get rid of those masks somehow. Yeah. Well, it's, he's it's, got a bun. You know, thank goodness the legislature finally put an end to that, but uh, not for lack of Spencer Cox wanting us to have all of our children forced into masks for yet another year. While basically everybody just got very strong, durable immunity to COVID because whether you got the bad one a year ago or two years ago or not, everybody just got the Omicron and it was two days long and nobody died and now we're all immune, but we're still going to keep going with this charade because Spencer Cox put us in bondage to take the federal money, which he spent on stupid crap like piles of blue masks to put on our kids and also every other billboard in Utah being COVIDiot propaganda. So, all right, back to the grandma, back to the grandma uh, contract and finishing all that. Can I, up. Can I yeah. say one more thing really interesting, Robin? A week and a half ago at the Capitol, I had um, Stuart Adams, who's the president of our Senate, come up and just start talking to me. Uh, you know, just while we were there. And he said something, and I'm going to say this here just in case it ends up panning out, but he repeated several times to me personally, mark my words, in 30 days, COVID will be completely gone in Utah. And I said, how do you know? Which, of course, you know, he wouldn't tell me, but he said within 30 days, and again, this would put it at the very, very end of February, first week of March, he said there will be a news announcement, there will be a public announcement, and it'll be gone. And I said, how, how, you know, how do you know and how will it be gone? And he said, Omicron, Omicron's the reason that will be given for this. And three times he said, mark my words, mark my words, mark my words. So FYI, this is how pre-planned things seem to be here, not just in Utah, but everywhere. Well, Omicron seems to be a really bad deal for them because it just sort of takes the legs out from them being able to continue the fear porn and the increasing mm -hmm. tyranny. So now they're going to have to change up the game plan. And I don't know if they just go to all climate change all the time <laughs> or what they're going to do. But like here in Florida and from what I hear in Utah, it's no different. In other states, I'm pretty plugged into a lot of different places because of my public figure platform. It looks to me like everybody got the thing. Yeah. I don't know if I know anybody who didn't. So what are so they is their excuse now? out? It, they're going to, that's their excuse out is Omicron has, you know, fixed everybody. Let's move on. But well, I don't think we can get off that. That's easily. an interesting theory because for them to say that if Stuart Adams is right, that that's going to actually be their lead story is that Omicron gave everybody natural immunity. Then they're going to have to acknowledge natural immunity. And it really looks to me like there's been a whole lot of denialism about natural immunity, even though 
any medical doctor or scientist worth his or her salt knows that natural immunity is vastly superior to anything that you can get from a syringe. But even though we used to know that, we're like rewriting everything on the internet and re-indoctrinating everybody in medicine that, nope, you can only get immunity from some Frankenstein in a syringe. So I'll be interested to see if that's the story they lead with, but it looks to me like they're not wanting to give any credit to natural immunity. So, okay, let's let's go back to these subjects on grandma and Spencer Cox. So we've got another one, which is, is very interesting. So, um, when r- the early 2020, when all of it was, some people were very much, um, you know, sadly buying into the fear porn and, and kids weren't being able to go to school and all of this craziness for no reason. Anyway, sorry. I can get really, really <laughs> looped into that craziness, but, um, so, uh, we submitted some grammar requests and, um, came back very, very fascinating. Um, so Governor Cox and our state superintendent and, um, our, the used to be, um, state health director, um, Richard Saunders, they are in these, um, communications, these internal memos talking to each other, and they are talking to none other than the Rockefeller Foundation and the Rand Corporation. And they are, um, communicating on how excited Utah is that they are going to be the spearheading the Rockefeller's, um, procedures and protocols and mitigation efforts for COVID in all of Utah's schools. So we have a governor that is collaborating um, with the Rockefeller Foundation, the Rand Corporation, on what to do with our kids to keep them safe. I think that in order to accept CARES Act money, as well as the American Rescue Act money, that it was all signed, sealed, and delivered, not only that our kids had to wear masks, which then the Utah legislature made it illegal, so that put Spencer Cox and the cabal in a serious bind, but also things like mandatory testing, tests to stay, and vaccine mandates in the schools. Like All of these schools all across the country got an average of school district, got a, like a half a billion dollars average. Well, you're I mean, right. You're, and I'm so sorry, Jen and I kind of, we went off on a, on a tangent, but in that um, first uh, contract, that ESSER contract that was signed by Sidney Dixon, um, we only mentioned the first contractual agreement, but as you go down the list, it was um, quarantine children, test to stay, test to play. Another really good one that was in there was um, you had to provide vax clinics on school property during school hours. So we have these elected officials in Utah selling our kids out for, I mean, for, you know, bringing in all the medical tyranny. And this helps explain why you got all these parents, not just in Utah, but all over the country who are showing up at school board meetings and they're crying and they're begging. And these school board members are just glassy eyed and Mm -hmm. they never do anything to let the children out of bondage. And I think that people don't realize, and AJ DePriest came out with this after like reading American Rescue Act, hundreds and hundreds of pages. She was like, oh, you know, these school districts already took the money a long time ago. Like they're contractually bound to doing all these things to our children. 
And so I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, but it's different when you have children in junior high school and high school, because all they care about is being with their friends and you're going to have a angry tween or teenager if you pull them out. But you people with kids who are sixth grade and younger, get them out from a mother of four adult communist children to you who have the chance to get your kids out of the indoctrination camps, get them out. Or, or, or fight like heck and make sure your child's the first child to have a medical exemption that's honored. And then he goes to school and has hundreds of kids ask him, how did your mom figure that out? And have for, have the school feel so much pressure that they had to make up a form because they didn't have one before a certain mom made one. Um, and they had to, they had to send out a mass email with this medical exemption form to the entire school. I had the same thing happen at my kids in public school. Hundreds and hundreds of kids just follow the lead. I mean, courage is, is contagious. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that there's things that you can learn and that your child can learn by being in the school system. And I have friends who are single moms and can't like, I have a friend who sees this going on and she has three little boys. The dad isn't super involved and she's on her feet cutting hair every day. And she's just like, how, how? And I, I, you know, I could easily sit here and say, well, you know, the biggest mistake we ever made was outsourcing our children's education, right? Like we just had children assuming the state would educate them. And we didn't question that until the state started to really fail us. And for me, it was, you know, like I was a co-founder of Utah's first charter school. I helped pick the curriculum. Then I helped found another charter school. I mean, I thought I was sending my kids to the best thing that public taxpayer dollars that I could afford the best education they could buy. I didn't have the money for public school, but I mean, for private school, but I'll tell you what, my children were raised in those schools and then they went to a Utah university and they are all of them all in on LGBTQIA plus. You're not their main uh, influence. You might think you are, but once they hit age 11 ish, they start looking to their peer group and guess what? That is the hot thing in the schools. And I know I've gone way off on a tangent, but I bet one of you has something to say about all that. (laughs) What? Uh, you know, I, this is the problem for me. I was under this naive assumption. I'm from Texas originally. Um, and I came to Utah to go to college and I had always had it built in my mind that Utah is this conservative family values. They would be the ones to stand up to all of this Marxist propaganda. I always thought that. And, um, so even as we started having kids, I have, we have four kids of our own. I always thought like, of course, none of that would come to Utah. I mean, that's not going to be, but as we've watched the executive, Governor Cox, usher all of this stuff in single-handedly. I mean, I think we'd have to be very, very naive to not think that our state is completely, I mean, it's, it's taken, it's a, they, he has accomplished a Marxist revolution in Utah, in my opinion. Sure. And he, yeah, he totally has. Go ahead, Jen. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that what's really interesting is one of our few rights left at this moment. I mean, our, our votes don't matter too much, apparently. And 
we have the right to these public records and what Cox is doing and other agencies, including the Utah State School Board, is they are now finding ways to prohibit specifically Sophie and I, but others from getting any information to see what they're doing behind the scenes. And because, I mean, this is, it's a collusion. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. And, you know, it's, it, it's just alarming when they start blocking those things. For example, um, we have proof, very solid proof of the existence of some documents reaching, uh, some public records reaching Governor Cox. Um, I, I asked for those specific records with the right dates, the right words, you know, everything like that. I was told they don't exist. When I went to appeal it, uh, the lady in charge, his deputy, a lawyer, I believe, um, was like, well, wait, 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 let me, let me go back and, and, and look again. I did find one thing that was responsive to you and it was on a public website. You can go look it up. But the proof that we have of these communications, his office is saying they still don't exist. And Sophie's gone through the same thing with him all year too. What do you do when you have a governor who says, I don't communicate on text message. I don't communicate on email. I I make sure that my public meetings requests aren't really public because I'm only inviting so many people at a time. So then they can be closed door and then they don't have to be recorded. And if you do find something that I put in writing, um, I'm not going to give it to you anyway. I mean, it's gone so far as to have the lieutenant governor's office, one of her grammar records officers admitted to me only on the phone, which I, but I confirmed it by email that Governor Cox's office lawyers came in and said, basically, if you don't, and if these people don't know exactly to the subject line, to the date, to the to, to the from, to the, you know, exactly a specific email, do not give it to them. And that's really alarming when you have a governor who is shifting us from a, from a democracy to the Marxism that, you know, that we're both just talking about. And there's no transparency there. I'm like, how is this different from a communist country at this point? If our votes don't count, our voices are being silenced. The people and the legislators are getting threats for, for even trying to get this transparency. And then they're making numerous laws as we speak to stop us or hinder us from even getting the transparency to the public records. What do we have left? Exactly. Exactly. And, and to Jen's point, Robin, I have 20 plus grandma requests in for Cox, um, to various people with various, um, topics. And for those 20 plus requests, every single time his records official, her response to me is, I quote, no records responsive. So basically what they're saying to the public is Cox never ever communicates with his chief of staff, Stuart Adams, um, the state department's, uh, uh, director. I mean, how can we have a person running a state and never ever communicate with, for example, this uh, Utah State School Board of Education superintendent. When I submitted requests for for those two between Cox and, and Sidney Dixon, came back no records responsive. When I submitted for his chief of staff and Cox, no records responsive. I mean, it's it's almost a joke now. Like it, it's a game now. Well, and I I wonder if he just feels um, you know, quite secure in the fact that he's surrounded by attorneys and he has the full resource set of the state 
Whereas we are some moms who figure as well, they're not going to be able to actually sue me. I actually know of a group of people who have nothing to do with any of the three of us who have some very powerful, very wealthy people who want to root out the corruption that is the Spencer Cox administration. But I, I think when we said earlier that technically we have the right to uh, information that we request, uh, we should mention not only that you've gotten, you know, and this is happening at the federal level too, when Del Bigtree and the ICANN network and Bobby Kennedy and Children's Health Defense ask Tony Fauci for, you know, submit FOIA requests or grandma requests, and it comes back with just pages of blacked out, redacted. So there's that, that, yeah, okay, technically I've got this information that is whole entire pages of black ink because they think it's like so like sec- like ma- a matter of national security or something that we have to use a Sharpie on all of it. So there's that. And then there's also that right now it looks to me like they're trying to pass a bill through Utah legislature that's about you. Sophie, you want to talk about that? Do you know about this? <laughs> well, there's several, unfortunately, that are catered to Jen and I very, very specifically. Um, it was funny. Um, with one of these bills, um, we had uh, a legislator reach out to us and say, do you consider yourself vexatious? Vexatious. Uh, yeah, so the, so the bill like makes up this ridiculous word that's in approximately no one's vocabulary that that it's against vexatious uh, FOIA requests. Well, maybe you just kept sending the grandma request or the FOIA request for information, which we as citizens have a right to, because they kept not giving it to you. Maybe that's why it's vexatious. Am I wrong? Oh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And some of the fascinating things that Jen and I have. Um, been responded to from these counties. Now we're talking about some of these election returns, um, uh, grammar requests. It is just, it is hilarious. The games they'll play. For example, one county I sent in five requests and they, they responded to me and broke those up into 25 requests so that it looks like they can, um, they can ask for extraordinary, extraordinary circumstances and take as much. They, they said, we will not be able to get to your first request for six months. So it's all of these games being played to subvert us, um, at, at every turn. And so, um, you know, you mentioned the vexatious, uh, bill, but Jen and I are very, very focused on, um, SB zero. Is it five seven, Jen? Stoddard. Stoddard's bill. Um, this bill that uh, uh, Stoddard has put up will basically annihilate the public's um, right to grammar records. And so... And to go back to what Sophie was just saying, when these they're playing so many different games with us, so many. Um, so when they split up her request into 25, in turn, what that did to me was they wrote and said, you're number 26 in the queue, so many words. Um, we can't even give you a yes or no if you can get your data for many months. Now, this was problematic because the thing I had requested was a copy of the backup of a database with the election results. Now, this was strategic on their part, but we, I think we outstrategized them on this one because we knew that the law said that they cannot destroy data, including election data, 
if 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 the public record is in the appeal process. So what they were doing was delaying. They broke up Sophie's requests to make it seem like there was this um, horrific backlog of requests, so that they wouldn't have to answer me, so that they could destroy some of the data I had requested in the meantime. So I just appealed their extraordinary circumstance to to the uh, county commissioners who wrote back and said, hey, you know, we do have to do things in the in the right order. You are number 20, whatever in line behind Sophie. But what we can do is preserve the data. So it kind of backfired a little bit on them. But this is the level of uh, craziness that we have to deal with just to get a yes or no. And at the very end, they wrote back and gave the same canned response on their denial two months later that the lieutenant governor told them to write. And I'm thinking you could have done that two months earlier. Like you could have, and they they did fulfill other requests in the meantime that were given after the fact. So it's definitely a game they're playing with us. It's yeah, a game. It sounds like a game of stalling and stonewalling and bureaucratic minutia, just trying to wear you down and yeah. exhaust you. Well, and for Jen and I's election grammar requests, um, if we are able to get those, we are able to prove how, why, where, when the anomalies in our elections occurred. And they know this. And that's why they're, they're taking every measure to deny us these election returns because it's going to, yeah, go ahead, Jen. Sorry, Sophie. Um, it's gone so far as the Lieutenant governor making a public statement, four page, single spaced. I, I, I mean, she doesn't call Sophie and I by name, but let's just say that we're the, the only content in my appeal was almost lifted verbatim. <laughs> so we're 99.99% sure that she's talking to us. But she actually goes in and mentions the fact that I'll read it right here. It's, it, she says the lieutenant governor said repeated demands for access to election system data with a stated purpose to audit or even verify officially certified elections is not in the public interest. And then she goes so far as to call us indirectly, self-appointed, unelected, untrained, uncertified individuals. Perfect. That's exactly <laughs> what we need. That's what exactly yeah, what I mean, we need. Unelected, untrained, uncertified, non-bureaucratic. That's exactly what I want is more citizens with eyeballs on the corruption that is running the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. So, bravo. When I was in Utah visiting my children for Thanksgiving, I had, and I think I probably invited both of you and you couldn't come, but like had 40 people over for dinner just to talk about like, where do we go from here? We spent all of 2020, like rocked back on our heels in playing defense. 2021, we're dealing with vaccine mandates and just trying to protect jobs and get our kids out of bondage. And so, you know, where do we go from here? But we had a woman come who has just been out knocking doors and knocking doors and knocking doors. And she said, Utahns want free and fair elections and they want to vote in person. They almost categorically want to vote in person. So, hey, Spencer Cox, what are you afraid of? Yep. What are you afraid of? That people are going to show up at the at the voting booths and actually vote for the candidate they want? Right, right, Robin. And this is so exciting. Um, on Wednesday... We will be at um, the Utah County Commissioner's Building. 
and we will be, um, we won't personally be, but we have brought someone that's going to be, um, presenting all of Utah County's election data. Um, and it's unbiased. It's professional. Um, you know, much to the, the opposite of what she thinks we are. Yeah. I was just going to say much to the lieutenant governor's chagrin, right? Um, and they are going to have at least 20 minutes to present this to the public and to the Utah commissioners of all the anomalies, all of the data discrepancies that occurred in the 2020 elections in Utah County. And let us just say that a top national data analyst has said that Utah County cheated in every way, only second to Salt Lake County. Who and cheated so, in every possible way. Every, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> every no and they're just right behind Salt Lake County. And so this is on Wednesday the 9th at two o'clock. Jen and I are going to be there and we're hoping a h- hundreds will show up. And this is our um, opportunity to um, justify a forensic audit for Utah County. And that's our final goal there. So today is Sunday. What day is that this week? It's Wednesday. Okay. Well, I'll try and get this published and anybody hearing this before, I think that would be February 10th. It's February. Oh, oh sorry. It's February 9th. So February 9th at the Utah County Courthouse? Uh, commissioner's building. Utah County Commissioner's building, which is in Provo? Yes. Mm-hmm. And people can call in and do public comments and actually view it around the nation online. We would love the support across the country because again, let me, let, let us reiterate that these players that we're talking about here in Utah, Cox, Sherry Swenson, all of these kinds of people, Ricky Hatch have national roles in these organizations that are affecting every other state. We have ties to Eric. We have ties to the CTCL, uh, the EAC we're heavily involved in. So if you, if you roll back, um, the, the layer of, I don't even know, the filter over our eyes that they're trying, you know, to, to put over us so we can't see what's going on. You'll realize that Utah has been a very active and aggressive, I would say, participant in election disintegrity from the start, at least from 2010. But I, I believe, I think we've found things as far back as even 2003. Absolutely. And to Jen's point, um, in Utah County, one of the commissioners um, that is doesn't seem to be on we the people's side, um, we're not going to make a final judgment because we're hoping she'll Oh man, I just said she. I'm hoping this person will make the right, the right choice. Um, but interestingly, she, um, this person, um, traveled to DC at least three times, um, since 2020 advocating for, um, mail-in voting. So what is a Utah commissioner doing traveling to DC and wanting mail-in voting. I mean, that's just kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to put in the show notes down below, I'm going to put the link to the website where I've really been sending out to people who subscribe to Take Action for Freedom, which is like 12,000 Utahns who were showing up at the protests I organized in 2020 and sending one-click letter campaigns to their 
legislators, et cetera, et cetera. I'm and- going, to, you know, so we got a lot of people to go sign. We need 150,000 signatures to get a, an election initiative on the ballot for this November, which is really important because you just heard it. One of the most corrupt states in, in terms of voter integrity. Why? If not, if not the most, Robin, if not just, if I can just interrupt really quickly, cause this is so interesting. Jen and I have had this extraordinary opportunity to be in touch with these national data analysts that have worked on the Maricopa data, the um, several other states' data. And at first, when this person or these people met Jen and I or are helping us with these grammar requests, I think they were like, oh, that's cute. Let me let us help these cute little moms um, think they're they're doing something for their community. Let, let us help them. Well, after several conversations and these people seeing what Jen and I were actually working and accomplishing, they would come back to us and say, oh my goodness, Utah just might be the most corrupt state as far as elections. Yeah. So I think we need to get a lot more vexatious. (laughs) I I don't even know that word, but I'm going, I'm going to like, adopt that in my vocabulary. And I think that we need a lot more vexatious people to, um, and moms, especially, I mean, it's pretty bad when you're a governor pretending to be this nice LDS conservative father, um, and everything about you is a fraud and you literally seem physically pained when you have to say things like I'm a political conservative and then you you run on a platform of limited government. You literally put up billboards that said that you want less regulation in the schools and limited government. You're a flipping liar, Spencer Cox. Yes. You're wrecking our schools. You're wrecking our children's future. And I will hold you accountable. And I'll find anybody else who will be a part of that. I may not live in that state anymore, but my heart's still there and I'm still watching. I'm still awesome. watching and I'm still helping and I'll help fund it. And we need to get, we need to root this, this cancer out of our state by the roots. It's, he's got deep roots. You, you said, I did not know this until I saw you guys do another interview. And so I reached out and it's like all happened over the weekend. Cause I'm like, let's make this happen. Um, I saw you talking on another show that I think also has a national audience, but I do have this Utah audience where you were talking about how Spencer Cox was quietly taking control of the next election back in 2013 and you guys trying to shine a flashlight on it has had, has gotten you people in uniform sent by the state in your yards and knocking your neighbors. Yeah. So I've had, yeah, I've had, um, people on the doorstep. I've had people in black cars with tinted windows around the corner. I've, I talked to a detective one time and, I just said, hey, there was, and this is another incident. I said, hey, there were some people here. Here's a photograph. They were on my property for 20 minutes, you know. Anyway, he he said, what did they say or what did they do? Because they went and talked to my neighbors. And they went and talked to my neighbors and asked when I was home and what I was doing and that they would be back. And anyway, they gave, I don't want to say it over over the air, but there were two phrases, separate phrases they had given that the detective immediately said, oh my gosh, that's FBI. Like that is code words that you wouldn't know that I was just telling him. 
Um, we've been surveilled at restaurants. We've been followed. Sophie's uh, had a watch her back written on the back of one of her vehicles in riding with a, with a guy with wearing a black ski mask that drove by her home four or five times in one night through the middle of the night. Um, these are all things that have happened, but they haven't deterred us. They happened right at the same time. And I'm talking within weeks or no days, even within a week of Spencer Cox um, coming out and saying that Utah conspiracy theorists of, of election integrity are playing a very dangerous game. And this also so happened kind to of be a veiled a threat, week. but did not feel like a little bit of a veiled threat. Uh, well, felt- especially when that is the week that all this stuff started happening to me at my house. And I was the one that made the request for the database, which has got the lieutenant governor up in arms on, on all of these things. I mean, if we get that database, we get everything. And there's a lot at stake here. Um, I, I, we have to believe that the threats are serious, but at the same time, we also aren't going to back down to it at all. The more public we get, the more safe we feel. And I have noticed, and Sophie, you may agree, um, the more vocal we've been, the less the threats have seemed to happen. The, the, right. the crazy, and, you know, the, the buggings, the, the whatever. Is- You're in more danger, the quieter you are. And so that's why, even though like I really needed a weekend off and I'm dealing with all these families after getting involved with this one family whose family member is literally being murdered by this whole COVID death protocol edict from Fauci on down to all the hospitals in America with drugs that don't work and, and interventions that, that hurt and disable and kill people. And then more families. And this has been all weekend. But I saw you guys, I had so many people sending me that other interview that you guys did. And that's why I reached out immediately and said, let's get you on my show and spread out the flashlight that's being shined on you guys. Because here's the thing. And here's another little message for you, Spencer Cox, is when I moved to Florida, I get a call from Utah law enforcement because I got multiple cease and desists for daring to write Her Highness Dr. Angela Dunn, who, (laughs) you know, with my polite emails using her public front-facing email address that didn't my emails didn't swear didn't threaten her in any way completely professionally written but I get cease and desist for those and not just one either and then I get a call from some guy in Utah law enforcement and I'm here and I've moved here to Florida and I answer the phone and he says are you still in Florida and I was like excuse me who are you and he tells me who that he's from Utah law enforcement and then he you know, tells me the whole cease and desist and whatever. And I said, oh, because I broke a law sending an email to the lady who has been empowered to destroy schools, the economy, small businesses, and um, the mental health of of 3.2 million Utahns. So that's what, oh, so the law I broke was writing an email to the lady who did that. You know what? You can suck it. So (laughs) here's the thing. We, we, We... I don't think they realize that when you poke a mama bear, all you did is poke a mama bear. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid of you. And all I'm going to do is on my weekend that I was going to take off, I'm going to have these ladies on my show so we can get this message out to more people so that there's not three moms, there's 3000 moms. Thank you, Robin. We appreciate it. And just really quickly. um, So we have this meeting on Wednesday, right? But last Wednesday we showed up, there were at least a hundred, right, Jen? Did we get about a hundred there? Oh, yeah. um, and so many more online that we don't even know how many were online. 
Yes. And, and we showed up to the Utah, uh, Utah County Commissioner's, um, meeting, their, their weekly meeting. And we showed up and we just, we just civilly and calmly and patriotically voiced our desires and, um, uh, our, our rights for a forensic audit, for election integrity. Um, and, so you're going to love this. So Jen and I are just, we had planned this meeting to, to, to have our voices heard and it had been planned for about a week and we had sent out flyers and, and stuff like that. Well, we're sitting in the meeting and all of a sudden we realized that, um, it must have been before the meeting began, but someone from the lieutenant governor's office had, um, gifted everyone in that room a pamphlet on, um, uh, Utah's election elections and how they're so incredibly integritous and it even Except for they didn't give one they didn't give one to me and sophie our seats were empty of them we had to ask for a copy yeah they they failed to give us one but and it even had the beautiful lieutenant governor's um office seal on it um and so it was really fun because jen and i started reading that in the very first sentence um, and then all the sentences afterwards, we could refute every single point made in that pamphlet. Um, and, uh, Jen, I, I, we haven't talked about this, but even funnier than that or funner than that was the lieutenant governor, or I, I think she sent her records official. Um, grandma records mm-hmm. official that Jen and I have been working with for several months on these data election return grandma requests. She sent him to that meeting and he was sitting on the front row the whole time. And so he, right he by was us. right by us. And, and what was funny is, um, I just had like a couple of minutes to give a public comment and I just was able to, to say, Look at this beautiful gift the lieutenant governor had uh, sent to us here. And in the very first sentence, we can refute um, every point. And, and thereafter, we can refute every point. And so it was, it was pretty fun to have a representative from the lieutenant governor's office who has been seeing all of our grammar requests sitting there through it and um, have, you know, watching and listening to all of these patriotic Utahns. Um, have their voices heard about election integrity. So hey, Robin, while we're talking to Spencer Cox directly, Deidre Henderson, in case you're listening, stop telling people that we haven't buried any Utahns after the experimental injection because we've buried a lot of them and we've also seriously injured a lot of them. So seriously, stop saying that because it's a lie. 100%. So Robin, so, if you people um, want to know how to help us, um, we yep. would be happy to give you our email address that goes to Sophie and I. Um, there are so many things we could use help with that are really, really easy. Sometimes even as simple as just we can help um, them know what to ask for. You know, so obviously, put it, they, put it in show notes, but I'll put it in the show notes, but also say it out loud here. People grab your uh, phone notes or write it down. What is it? Red, two red pills or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, TWO. R-E-D-I-L-L-S at startmail.com. And I can, uh, we can send a list of, you know, things that we need at the moment. We, our biggest need is, is support right now for the meeting on February 9th. 
I, I think we have a limited window before the data is destroyed. Sophie and I are doing our best to hold out in court. We're dragging our feet. We have a lieutenant governor who has threatened every county if they don't deny us fast enough that they'll be sued because it's, it's really so the, so the governor's office is wildly inappropriately getting involved in trying to tell uh, entities that have information to not give it to you. Yeah. So the where there's smoke, where there's smoke, there's fire. These are the classic signs of a corrupt government trying yes. to cover for, cover its tracks. So they get sued if they give us the data. They will also be sued if they don't deny us fast enough. Because again, this is a race against the clock. We know it, and they are upset that we know it. We are now dragging our feet to get into court. At the same time that these county clerks and other county attorneys have been told by the lieutenant governor's office, we have proof of this, to get us into court as soon as they can. Get us into court, get into court, get into court. Well, that's because they think we'll win. I'm sure, you know, you can find a corrupt judge anywhere. Um, you know, and if we lose, then they can destroy the data. And to be honest with you, we're not so sure they haven't already done that. Remember what we said earlier about the great data blackout of uh, was it close to approximately January 2021, this whole server system goes down across Utah. Well, there are backups and there's things like that and there should be backups. And I think that's why they're panicked at the request of being asking for just a copy of the backup copy of that database. If they are really cornered and they, I believe they're afraid of what we're doing because everything they've thrown at us we just keep going, but we're going to have to bring this into court. Um, 29 counties times $400 filing fees just to get it into court. And you add that up and I don't even know what that looks like, but it's a lot of money. $12,000 just to, to get what's rightfully ours. But if anybody wants to help, send us an email. There's things you can do. If you want to donate, that's great. If not, there's things you can do otherwise that we would love to have help with. And the support itself and the prayers are, are even most important. So t two red pills at startmail.com is how you guys mm -hmm. can get in touch with Jen and Sophie and offer your help. I know so many Utahns are like, I hate what's happening in our state. I don't know how to get involved. There's yeah. one way. I'm also going to put the link down there to the website. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I sent two emails to Take Action for Freedom subscribers asking all of you to go to specific locations to physically sign the referendum, so that I might be using the wrong words, but to get it on the, the ballot initiative on the ballot in November, because yes. we, the people have to stand up to this. This isn't like we, we, we can sit here and watch Spencer Cox and his overreach and his big administration that's bloated and corrupt run over the top of the people. The legislature has done a couple of good things, but right now they're steamrolling us. I don't even think the legislators know what they're passing. Like for instance, there's a bill. I just saw it today. And it's related to all these families who are coming to me talking about the, the, the COVID for cash murder scheme of the Fauci death protocol. Um, and a family in Utah that I just interviewed this weekend, they killed their mom and their dad on the same day in Timpanogos wow. hospital, hospital in Orem, Utah, Timpanogos hospital. Um, this kind of stuff is going on and guess what they're doing? Cause this family with nine children. It's like, what is happening? Like you're doing all the protocols, all the drugs we told you not to, that our parents didn't want. We're standing here, we're pushing back and you're still doing this stuff to us. Guess what, guys? There is a bill in front of the legislature right now. I believe it's already passed the Senate 
that, you know, what, what the media says about it, and this is just a little tiny chunk of masterclass on critical thinking skills about what the media headlines are that are served to you is that, uh, it's a bill against healthcare workers being attacked. Well, who isn't for that? Who wants healthcare workers to be attacked? Okay. But then you read the actual language of the bill and it's things like a family member in the room with the patient can't adjust the bed. And then this thing that people are, are telling me is that they're like, if we, our, we saw that our dad couldn't breathe. And if we sat him back up, uh, the, the healthcare workers would come in and threaten us and kick us out of his room and kick us out for good, things like this. And so these bills aren't what we're being told. And I doubt that the legislators can, they can't read them all. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages a week that they're being asked to pass. So we, we have to take this interview and you send it to your legislator and say, I need you to be up on these these issues because these, these bills are crafted by attorneys. They are intentionally bloated. Well, and Robin, I mean, I think, um, you know, we, the, the, the legislators that Jen and I are friends with, they're like, we, uh, we're being fire hosed every legislative session. How can we even know what's it, all the loopholes that are in these bills? You know, sometimes all they can do is read the title of the bill and, and vote on it. And so no, by default, ex- you don't know ex- what it is. Vote. No, exactly. Exactly. And, and so Jen and I have had these conversations of, you know what, we need a bill that will limit the amount of bills that are brought up each legislative session. There's got to be some verbiage in the, in this bill that will say, you know what, not more than 10 bills a day can be, can be put on the floor or, or whatever. There's got, I mean, it just, this is insanity, the stuff that's being voted well, on. I I would love for there to be a clause that says, if you haven't read it, you shouldn't vote for it. And if you miss so many bills, then you're just not doing your job. I mean, it, there comes a point where it's like, really, people, I mean, take accountability. I want to know that those people have actually read it and actually know what they're doing before they make choices that are going to affect us. Well, I don't know about you guys, but like, I think I'm a relatively smart person. I have three degrees and I start reading those bills and I have to like start over and start over and start Mm -hmm. over because they're, you know, written with a bunch of legalese that you're intentionally not supposed to be able to understand it. And so I feel for those legislators, I mean, even 10 bills a day, I'm sorry, I can't read 10 bills a day. Seriously, it's like just a big fire hose, Mm -hmm. like you said. Okay. So there's a lot going on in this. Let's simplify it. We'll put... So two two red pills at startmail.com is how you can reach Sophie and Jen. I'll put a link down below to be able to go to one of these public signings or get a packet from these. Um, yeah. And we'll have, we'll have the initiative, the secure vote, um, initiative packets, um, okay. at the stay meeting. Uh, there'll be okay. people from multiple counties from multiple counties. Okay. Yeah. You got, you guys are only hope here as we are being completely fire hosed, gas lit by the, the executive branch is gotta be, it's definitely the most corrupt executive, uh, in the history of Utah. And we're all alive for it. And if we lay down for it, it's on us. Okay. You got to answer to God and your children one day. My children may not even know what I'm doing. I don't care if they ever do. All I know is I brought them into this and I got to get them out of this mess. Bless you. Links down below. Thank you ladies so much for everything that you're doing. If there were a thousand more Jens and Sophie's, we wouldn't be in this boat. And that's what we need right now. A thousand more Jens and Sophie's. You too, Robin. Thank you. Thanks ladies. Bye.
Bye. Bye.